We're in part three of our Keep Dreaming series, and I've received a lot of positive feedback over the last two weeks, and so I believe that God is doing something inside of our church through these messages, and I believe that uh, He's going to do something incredible this morning in your life if you will receive the Word this morning, if you will open up your heart to receive what God has for you. Uh, And so let's get right into the Word. We're going to be in Mark chapter number 5. And uh, I'm going to start with verse number 21, and it'll be up on the screen for you to read along. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put out your hands uh, or put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. Verse 24, so Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet, instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Let's pray. Father, we just pray that you would anoint this word, anoint my lips, and Father, we just rebuke any demonic distraction that would try to hinder the word of God from going forth today. In Jesus' name, amen. What I've realized is that God dreams are not always these grandiose, big, extravagant missions. I grew up thinking that God only called people into the ministry or into missions and everything else, like being a mom or being a teacher uh, or, or, or being an accountant. Uh, it, it was like second best, and those were for the people that God didn't really have a purpose and a dream for. <laughs> but that thinking, I've realized, could not be further from the truth. God can call you to anything as long as he is getting glory from what you are doing. Amen? Not all God dreams involve uprooting your family and moving across the country to do some amazing mission. Um, Some are, but not all. Most dreams are not where you're moving across the country or you're moving across the world to do something incredible for God. Sometimes God's dream for you is moving across the street to do something amazing from God. Uh, It's moving across your hallway to do something from God. It's moving across your cubicle to do something amazing from God. Amen? Many times our dream is determined by what our greatest deficiency is. The dream is necessitated by our greatest need. I would say that was the case for the woman we read about in this story. And the woman's story is mentioned in three of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And although she's mentioned in three of the four Gospels, never is she identified by her name. We're simply told that she was a woman. The authors never thought it was important to give her name. She was instead identified by her disease. We are told that she was subject to bleeding. Other translations say that she had a hemorrhage for 12 years. We are not told what caused the continual bleeding, but some say it may have been due to a tumor of some kind. Have you ever been identified by your greatest weakness? Has that ever happened to you in your life? Have you ever felt exploited by people because of a weakness that you had? Have you ever felt like the thing that you were most known for was the thing that you were most ashamed of? When I was battling cancer back in 2016, no matter where we were 
especially on the train. My children, the favorite thing my children would love to do was tell complete strangers what my condition was. And so many times we would be on the train and completely out of the blue, Boston or Avia would get eye contact with one of the passengers and you were in trouble if they got eye contact with you because then they would say, you see my dad over there? He's got cancer. They would do this over and over and over. I don't know why. I don't understand why, but they did it. At that time in my life, in many ways, I was identified by my disease. Maybe you were the smallest kid in your class growing up in school and, your cons- and, your, and the kids in your class, your classmates, constantly reminded you of your height deficiency. Maybe you were called a runt, whatever, whatever, but, but they constantly reminded you that you were shorter than everybody else. Maybe you wore glasses and were constantly called four eyes. Man, when I was in elementary school, that was like the worst insult you could be called, four eyes. Or or maybe you got braces to fix your crooked teeth and you were constantly identified by that, being called brace face or whatever else. You got train tracks on your mouth. Or maybe no one comes out and says it, but you perceive that people are identifying you by a weakness in your life. It might be made up in your head or you might be perceiving that the people in your life are identifying you by a weakness that you have. Maybe you feel like you are identified by the fact that you have been divorced or you can't keep a relationship and you feel like people are identifying you by that. Or maybe you feel identified that you are still single. Maybe that's what you feel that people are identifying you by. Or maybe you feel like you're being identified by the fact that you didn't go to a prestigious college. And the people around you did, and it makes you feel insecure. Maybe you feel like you're being identified by your socioeconomic status, or maybe you're being identified by the neighborhood you live in, or maybe you feel like you're being identified by your body type. Whatever it may be, there are so many people that are walking around and feel like they're being identified by these perceived things in their lives. The woman in this story was identified by her disease. In addition to having this disease for over a decade, this disease made her unclean in her Jewish culture, and because of that, she was not allowed to worship in the temple with everybody else. She was an outcast. She was shunned by her religious leaders. She was probably even shunned by her own family. Mark also tells us that this woman had spent every dime that she had on doctors trying to find a cure for her disease. But she only got worse. In all of her attempts to get better, she spent all of her money, all of her resources, and all she had to show for it was that her body, her health had gotten even worse. Doesn't this remind you of a question I asked you a few weeks ago? What do you do when you feel further from the dream than when God first gave it to you? What what do you do when you feel so much further from when God spoke to you something in your life that he wanted you to do or he wanted you to be? What do you do when you feel like you're in a complete different time zone from when he first gave you the dream? This woman tried everything she knew to deal to, uh, she, she did everything she knew how to do to deal with this sickness, but it only got worse. 
You ever pour your life into someone and disciple them, investing day after day after day, hour after hour into someone and only for them to backslide and, and then go back into a life that was worse than when they first got saved and came into your life? As far as this woman goes, her dream was not to go somewhere overseas to build an orphanage, but to simply find a cure for this disease that had ostracized her from everything and everyone she held dear in her life. And she finds herself on this seashore with Jesus and a large crowd of people who, who are all surrounding Jesus, trying to get as close to him as they possibly can. And so she's going through all of these things for 12 years, going to all of these doctors, trying to find a cure. She can't find a cure, and she suddenly finds herself on a seashore. And, and, and she's surrounded by a crowd of people. She doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know how to get freedom, but she sees Jesus. So let's see what happens. Mark 5, verse 28, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, yo, who touched my clothes? He was from New York, I guess. Yo, who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask, who touched me? Verse 24 tells us, if we rewind, a large crowd followed and pressed around Jesus. And as Jesus agreed to go to Jairus' home to pray for his daughter, this large crowd surrounded him on all sides to go with him. Yet this woman touching him stopped Jesus in his tracks. Jesus, surrounded by a crowd of people, going to the home of an official from the synagogue. Tons of people around him. Tons of people crowding around him. Tons of people touching him. But this woman's touch stopped Jesus in his tracks. He stopped what he was doing when this woman touched him. In your own life, there will always be crowds of people saying they know Jesus and that they have a relationship with Jesus and, and that they've been called to do this and called to do that and they have this dream and that dream from God. But who is willing to reach out and touch Jesus with intention, with purpose? Not just because you're surrounding him because you want to go where he's going, but who is willing to reach out and disrupt what Jesus is doing and touch him with purpose and intention. There was a whole bunch of folks touching Jesus that day, but only one got his attention. This woman had tried everything else for a cure, and she came to the point in her life that she knew that Jesus was her only hope. She came to the place in her life that she realized that Jesus was the only one who could fill the hole that her inadequacies had created. Until you come to the point in your life that you know without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is your only hope, you will not feel the need to repent and surrender everything. Until you realize that, that no one can fill you the way Jesus can fill you. No one can satisfy you the way Jesus can satisfy you. No one can set you free the way Jesus can set you free. Until you come to that point, you will not surrender your life to him. 
What if the answer to your prayer or your dream is simply within your reach? What if the fulfillment for what you've been asking God for is simply within your reach? If that's true, and I believe it is, then what is it that you're reaching for? My fear is that although God, the God dream is within your reach, that we miss out on it because we're too busy for reaching. We're too busy reaching for things that don't really matter. We're too busy reaching out for things that at the end of the day, they have no eternal value or significance. Some people are reaching out to toxic people to fulfill the loneliness in their lives. And these people that you're reaching out to, they're leaving you lonelier than when you came to them in the first place. Some people are reaching out to be seen and to become known. They're using their ambition and drive in order to build their own brand and build their own empire. They'll only invest in relationships that benefit their own selfish ambition. In the moment someone can't do anything for them anymore, they leave them in the dust. For some of you, God is trying to reach out to you with his love, but you're so busy reaching for other things that you are ignoring him. Psalm 5710 says, For great is your love reaching to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the sky. For some of you, God is reaching out into your mess, into your life. He's reaching out, but you're so busy reaching out for things that don't really matter, that you're missing out on God, His love and His faithfulness in your life. So what are you reaching for? As far as the woman in this story, she was reaching for Jesus by faith. She was reaching for Jesus by faith got two points that I want to pull from this story and then we'll be done today. Number one, God's dream for your life will require you to come to an end of yourself. God's dream for your life will require you to come to an end of yourself. In other words, for you to come to a place where you know that you are not the source of your strength, where you come to a place in your life where you understand that you can't fulfill what God has for you in your own strength. Where you realize that it's only through God that the fulfillment of your dream will come to pass. And if you try it any other way, you will fail. The text says that this woman had searched far and wide and had used many doctors in her search for a cure, but everything she tried failed. She came to the point in her life where she was desperate. She had tried everything she knew. She had tried everything in her own strength, and she was desperate. And it was in that place of desperation that her prayer was answered when she reached out in faith and touched the robe of Jesus. I think it would be a good idea for more people of faith to come to him in desperation. I feel like so many of us, we come to Jesus but with our own ideas. We come to Jesus, but with our own strength. We come to Jesus and say, you know what? I've got my own idea of how I want my life to, to, to kind of to, to go. And, 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 and we never get to that point of desperation where we say, Jesus, 
I need you because I've tried everything else. And everything I've tried has failed. And I'm broken. And I'm destitute. And I don't have any money anymore. And I don't have any strength anymore. And I just need you. Because desperation is the soil in which miracles are performed. Desperation is the soil in which you receive your breakthrough and miracle. And the woman in this story had come to the place of complete desperation. John 12, 24 says this. Let me make this clear. This is Jesus talking. Let me make this clear. A single grain of wheat will never be more than a single grain of wheat unless it drops into the ground and dies. Because then it sprouts and produces a great harvest of wheat, all because one grain died. There are some of you sitting in here today who feel exactly like the woman with the issue of blood in the story. It might not be a disease. It might not be a sickness. But you know how this woman feels. You're searching for a cure for whatever you're going through right now. And everything you're trying is failing. Fail after fail after fail. Everything you try to do in order to get you out of the mess you're in seems to be backfiring on you right now. You feel like you're hitting one wall after another wall after another wall. Closed door after closed door after closed door. It seems like every time you take one step forward, something happens in your life and you end up taking three steps backward. And I want to tell you something today. I want to encourage you today. God is going to use all of these things in your life to put your ego and your pride and your own sense of strength to death in order to make you fruitful, okay? If you're going through a season of death right now, if you're going through a season where you feel like nobody's seeing you right now, if you're going through a season where, 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 your, frat, where your flesh is being put to death, it's because God is trying to create something in you to make you fruitful. So don't run from it, but embrace it. Because it's the only path to fruitfulness. There's a bunch of Christians out there that, 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 that are not walking in fruitfulness because they're not willing to die. They're not willing to die to their ego. They're not willing to die to their pride. They're not willing to die to their self-strength. And because of that, God is not able to make them fruitful. And God wants you to be fruitful. And number two, God's dream for your life will require you to reach out and touch Jesus with intention. In a world where so many people are touching Jesus on a surface level, the ones who will reach out and touch him with intention are the ones who will fulfill their God-given dreams. Jesus stopped in his tracks because he felt someone touch him with faith and intention. He knew that whoever touched him was not just part of the crowd to see what great miracle would happen next. He knew that the person who touched him needed a miracle themselves. And, and, and the Bible says that when that woman touched him, he felt power go from him into whoever touched him. He knew that that person that touched him did not just accidentally touch him, but she touched him with purpose and intention. And because of that, Power went from him into her. Are you serious about God using you? 
Are you serious about fulfilling the dream God has put in your heart? Some people just say, God, I'm here, use me, but they don't mean it. Some people say, God, Jesus, I'll follow you, but they never follow him. Some people say, I'm, I'm serious for him, but they don't show it in their actions. You, you, the, the, you, you see, you being serious for Jesus, it cannot be separated from how you live your life and what decisions you make in your life. So are you serious about being used by God? Because if you're serious, then you will count the cost and you will keep going every time you get knocked down. Because as a believer, you will get knocked down. As a believer, you will, you, you, you will get beaten up at times. As a believer, you have a target on your back. And those that are serious about being used by God will count the cost and they'll keep moving forward every time they get knocked down. This woman took a risk by touching Jesus because now he stopped everything he was doing and wanted to know who had touched him. The entire crowd stopped. You ever done something? Maybe you dropped something or, or you tripped and you're in a big crowd and everybody stopped and looked at you? That's what was happening in this moment. There's nothing, you know, there, there's not many things in life that, 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 that's more awkward or scary than being in a crowd of people and something you do causes everybody to stop and look at you. But that's what was happening to this woman right there. What she did in private was about to be put on blast for all to see. Mark 5, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. See, for all this woman knew, she thought she had done something terribly wrong and was fearful of the ramifications of her actions. Have you ever been the reason that made everyone late to something? <laughs> like, have you ever been the reason that your entire group of friends were late to a movie? And because of your tardiness, your, you, you and your group of friends, they had to miss the previews. Then they missed one or two scenes from the movie. Then you get into the theater and you're tripping over people because by now it's pitch black in there and you're distracting everybody and you're getting in your seat and then you don't even know what's going on because you missed the first Five, ten minutes. You ever been there? You ever been the reason that you were late? Or you ever been in a group that someone else was late and then everybody's mad at that person? They're trying to watch a movie and they're angry? My daughter, I love her so much. She's the cutest little six-year-old I've ever seen. But she has made her big brother late to school more times than I can ever, ever, ever count. Everything is a struggle for Avia in the mornings. Getting her up is a struggle. Trying to get her to eat is a struggle. And trying to get at the moment we say, Avi, it's time to brush your teeth, forget about it. It's a total meltdown. But that's not even the worst part of her morning. You want to know the worst part of her morning? Is, <laughs> is the fight she has for how her hair is going to be done. Because Avia wants, she's a free spirit, she wants her hair down. Nothing in her hair, no ponytails or braids or bows or any of that. She just wants her hair down and free. But her mama wants to put her hair up 
And so there's a tug of war every single, there's a battle every morning because Avia wants her hair down and, and Priscilla doesn't want her hair down because by the end of the day, she looks like a homeless child with her hair all jacked up. Okay, so, so as a good mother, she doesn't want that. But Avia wants her hair the certain way. So there's a huge, huge war every single morning trying to get her ready from school. And by the time we finally get through with that, we're scrambling trying to get out the door to go to school and be on time. The woman in this story made Jesus late, but the ramifications were a lot worse than being tardy to school or, or missing a scene or two from a movie. Okay, In fact, Jesus was on the way to the home of Jairus. And, and, and because this woman touched Jesus, he stopped. He stopped and was asking, what, who touched me? Who touched me? And as Jesus was interacting with the crowd, finding out who touched him, one of the official's servants came and said, you don't have to bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter has died. So on top of everything else, this woman was probably scared to death. I'm the reason that Jesus didn't get to this home to heal this, 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 this Jairus' daughter. I caused this girl to die. She must have been scared out of her mind. And we know that the story ends by Jesus raising this girl from the dead. But this woman was not privy to that information at the time. But listen to Jesus' response to this scared woman. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. See, the risk was rewarded. The risk was rewarded. The risk was rewarded. If you're not willing to take a risk, you're not going to get a reward. If you're not willing to step out in faith, you're not going to experience the breakthrough. Okay? If you're not willing to step out of the boat, you'll never walk on water. If you're not willing to step out and trust Jesus, you're not going to experience the benefits of trusting Jesus. This woman's risk was rewarded. The fulfillment of your dream is always dependent upon your willingness to take a risk. God is looking for some risk takers who are not content in playing it safe, but are willing to walk out their salvation with some fear and trembling. Let me ask you something again. The same question I asked you last week. Is there anything you're doing in your walk with God that gives you any fear or trembling? Are you, are you giving anything financially that when you put that offering in this stinking wooden box, okay, you are putting it in with fear and trembling because you're like, I don't know if I can actually do this, but I'm going to trust that God's going to provide for me. Is there anybody that you walk up to in a restaurant or in a coffee shop, and as you're walking up to them, you are fearing and trembling because you don't know what the response is going to be? Is there anything that God has told you to do that when you step out to do it, you are fearing and trembling because the ramifications are serious? If you fail, you're done. If you fail, you're down on the ground and it's going to take a while for you to get back up. Is there anything you're doing in your faith walk with God that's requiring some fearing and trembling? Or are you only doing things where you have certainty 
Are you only doing things where you have assurance? Are you only doing things where you know the outcome before you even start? Because there's no faith involved in that. There's no risk involved in that. God is looking for some people who are unsatisfied with playing church and who actually want to be the church. In Mark Batterson's book, the book we're doing with the, with the men of the church, Play the Man, he talks about a scene from the movie Rocky III. Do we have any Rocky fans in here? I know I'm, I'm one of them. Yes, yes, yes. It's, and he talks about the rematch between Rocky Balboa and Clubber Lang, who was played by Mr. T. And in the scene, Rocky is getting destroyed. Haymaker after haymaker after haymaker. And he looks like he has no chance. He looks like the next punch is going to knock him out. And Rocky does something very interesting. He starts taunting Clubber Lang, even though he's getting beat down. And he starts to say, is that all you got? My mother hits harder than that. Come on, give me some more. Give me some more. And, and his <clears throat> trainer, Apollo Creed looks over to, uh, in his corner, looks over to his brother-in-law and says, this guy is crazy. He's going to get killed. And his brother-in-law, who has seen this scene before, he has seen this moment before, and he says, Rocky is not crazy. He's just getting mad. He's just letting him, he, he's just letting those punches make him mad. I don't know what you're going through today. But you know what? Instead of just taking, I don't know what kind of haymaker, uppercut, I don't know what kind of punches you're taking today, but instead of, instead of allowing that to knock you out, you need to allow it to make you mad. Okay? You need to allow it to make you angry. You, you, need to, you need to say, I'm not taking this anymore. I am going to stand up. I have the Spirit of God in me. I have Jesus inside of me, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I'm going to allow what's happening to me to make me angry. So just to refresh my mind a little bit, I got on YouTube and watched the scene again. And I started having tears. Even though I've seen it so many times, tears were welling up in my eyes. And I was in a food court at a mall in front of a bunch of people watching this with tears in my eyes and letting it just motivate me. And, and, it's, so, and, and it's such a powerful truth to how we need to, we, we, we need to, we need to stop allowing the enemy to intimidate us. And, and we need to take those punches and let it make us angry. Because here's the deal the things that are coming against us, the haymakers that life is throwing at us right now, the uppercuts that are connecting every single time, the overwhelming weight and struggle of the battle that we're feeling right now. We can either allow those things to kill us or make us angry. They can either be a strategy used by the enemy to destroy us or they can become a strategy for us to rise up and defeat the enemy. But you must choose what you're going to do. You must choose what you are going to allow those things in your life to do to you. And if I could have the worship team come up. Because it's not sinful to get angry. It can be sinful, but it doesn't have to be. Okay? After all, Jesus got angry a time or two. Okay? He, he got angry at the money changers who were defiling the temple. He got angry at Peter when he was trying to deter him from going to the cross. He got angry at the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. And so Jesus became angry at times. If your anger, listen, if your anger is aimed at the right thing, it can be righteous. But many times our anger is aimed at the wrong thing. Yesterday, I did something to make my wife angry, <laughs> and she aimed her anger at me. 
And I was trying to tell her, I'm not the problem. I'm not the issue. I'm your handsome husband that loves you through the thick and the thin. I love you no matter what. I'm not the problem. It didn't help much, but as long as your anger is aimed at the right thing, not me, Priscilla, aim it at the enemy, it can be a righteous thing. It's righteous for our anger to be aimed at injustice, injustice for the unborn, injustice towards a certain race of people, injustice towards a certain socioeconomic group of people, and injustice when we see corruption in our school systems, injustice when we see corruption in our political systems, injustice when we see corruption in our churches. It's okay to aim our anger towards that. Because it's that anger that will cause us to bring change. It's that anger that will cause us to stand up for truth and speak for those that cannot speak up for themselves. It's okay when we aim our anger towards the right things. It's okay when we aim our anger towards injustice. Amen? It's righteous for our anger to be aimed at the destructive patterns and decisions that people are making that keep them from living the good life. It's righteous to be angry that the devil has blinded the eyes of of the 95% of Manhattanites that that call Manhattan their home. We're we're only 5% of the 1.6 million people who live on the island of Manhattan actually go to church. That should make us angry, not at the people, but at the enemy who's blinding them. It should make us angry enough to start praying that God would awaken the eyes of the people in Hamilton Heights and the Upper West Side and Harlem and Washington Heights and Morningside Heights and and the Upper East Side and Chelsea and, and all the other neighborhoods. It should make us angry where we're crying out to God and saying, God, not on my watch. I have the power to do something about it because of the spirit of God that is inside of me. Let's get mad, church. Too many people in the church are apathetic. We're so, including myself, we're so reactive. Something happens in culture and then we react and respond to it and get all mad and angry. Let's be initiators, church. Let's repent of our apathy. Let's repent of our lukewarmness where every little thing offends us. I saw something that said, I'm probably saying it wrong, but the problem with the church today is we've replaced, I was convicted by this, by I was offended by this. Man, I'm afraid that the Holy Spirit is trying to convict a lot of people in the church and, and, and they think that it's offensive. You know what? Conviction is offensive sometimes. Because we don't want to change. We don't want to drop our habits and our patterns and the things that, we, that make our flesh feel good. But the problem is, is that when the Holy Spirit's trying to convict us, instead of conviction leading to repentance, it's offense leading to a distance between us and God. Us in the church. I can't believe the leaders in that church told me to change this area of my life. How dare they? (laughs) 
Let's get mad, church. Let's get angry and allow that anger to be aimed at the right thing. Let's show some emotion. Let's show some emotion. Allow the brokenness around us to stir us up to do something about it. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.